have you noticed cops have like grown in their leniency? I no. I literally no, I haven't noticed. I feel I like think most you people wouldn't think that. No, no, no. But I feel like you used to get pulled over for doing like over over seventy five. Like I feel like people used to get pulled over for that. Yeah. Now, I I every the second I get in the freeway, I go seventy eight. I set my cruise control at seventy eight. I go by a cop. I don't even attempt to slow down because I've done it so many times. I know they're not going to pull me over. Hey, I I don't know. It's a weird thing in the American culture, but um, you know, it's called a speed limit. Yeah, yeah we don't think of it as a speed like that's limit. The, that's like the the least fast you can go. You have to go at least seventy. No, 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 no. Yeah, you, you can't go any faster than seventy. Limit. No, it's at least seventy. No, no, no. It is. It is. You can't go above 70 70 is the limit is this your intro right now Should no maybe okay all right weigh in on this it's speed limit if that's the least you like if you go under no. 70 you get a ticket no if you go above 70 you get a ticket it's really just a suggestion oh my god have you noticed the leniency on the cop side because i swear i i go 78 79 by a cop they're not even they're not even taking their finger off the trigger because yeah. they got bigger fish to fry. Hey, guess what I go? The speed limit. You do go. You go very slow. I, yeah, you're right. I go slow because I drive the legal limit. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Direct a Podcast. This is episode number Jack Bauer, 24. I'm Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keenan Wetzel. And today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, the Eightfold Collective and Film Supply. Film Supply is a full-service licensing agency that houses incredible, highly curated footage of myself and hundreds of other filmmakers. If you're looking for footage to fill the gaps or just building treatments and need inspiration, check out filmsupply.com. Today we're chatting with director Elle Ginter. Elle is a commercial director based in New York, and she is signed to Sanctuary Content. We had a great combo about a lot of things, movies, uh, her unique route to directing, and you know how she's been able to find meaning in a lot of her work and kind of what, uh, what filmmaking is all about and how to not get lost in the shuffle of things. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, here's Elle. Hey Elle, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you more. How are things in New York? Um, they're cloudy, but there's coffee, so they're great. <laughs> nice. Where there's coffee, yeah. there's there's good vibes. Yeah, coffee gets me through the cold until summer hits. So I'm from Boston originally, so it's actually a lot warmer in New York uh, through the winters than I'm used to, so I fully embrace it. Just less windy, you think? Um, pretty, pretty windy, but just definitely a lot warmer temperature wise, <laughs> not as much snow, not as much ice, not as much rain. And I get to go to California now a lot, but I'm directing, so it works. I can balance it. Nice. Yeah. That always makes yeah. the winter go a little faster when you can get yeah. out a few times. Exactly. <laughs> where are you guys? We're out of Detroit. So we're, oh. uh, we're sitting in the same weather you are. Yes. Yeah. Potentially, potentially oh, worse. We got like five, we got like five <laughs> inches of snow worse. last night. So, Keenan and I were just talking about some of our favorite films we've watched this year, and we're just curious what are what are some of the favorite films you've seen this year? 
Oh man. Um, well, I just saw Lady Bird, so ah, that was so definitely that was really good. up there. Yeah. Um, gosh, favorite films are always so tough for me because I tend to like almost everything. <laughs> Let me think back real quick. Hmm. So, so you're somebody who likes everything and doesn't dislike everything. Because you know, every, we all have friends that are like, go to a movie like, ah, I hated that. Yeah. I can go to like Green Lantern and like it. <laughs> find something good in <laughs> yeah, every movie. Just like going to a movie is fun. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I'm definitely one of those people. It's it's one extreme or the other. I either like everything or I really, really hate something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's not really like, oh, I like this, but I didn't like this about it. It's either like, yeah, I thought it was great or yeah, I thought it sucked horribly and I will never watch it again. Any, um, any movies that sucked recently you think of that you were like, ah, it's just not mm, my thing? I need to like go back and check my Amazon account. <laughs> yeah, it is tough. I literally do that. Are you the type of person that, that can go to films strictly to for enjoyment or are you like trying to dissect them or trying to like investigate the story arc subconsciously? Um, no, I'm not a very deep movie watcher and I know that sounds awful, but I tend to watch movies just for pure enjoyment. Yeah. So, and a lot of the movies I watch aren't, aren't necessarily typical to the stuff that I'm currently making either Mm -hmm. because I kind of like having a break. So, one of them, I mean, my all-time favorite movie is her, right? Anything Spike Jones is awesome. I love it. Um, Where the Wild Things Are. And then I really like Nancy Meyers' movie, The Intern. Yeah, And then awesome. that was just, to me, like, like, heartfelt and funny at the same time. And then I just watched the Netflix series, or Netflix? Nope, Amazon series, Marvelous Mrs. Mizell. And I thought that was, like, really clever because it's about – a 1950s woman whose husband leaves her and then she becomes a stand-up comedian. So I thought that was awesome. Um, hmm. Yeah. My movie, my movies are lacking besides Lady Bird. Yeah. Do you find, <laughs> so, do you find yourself like watching more TV now? Cause I, I know I certainly do. It's like, man, I want to watch movies, but there's so much good TV that I find myself diving into series a lot more. Yeah, uh, honestly, I'm really into series. I just finished Godless. I just yeah. binge-watched Godless, basically, and I thought that was awesome. Um, I love cowboy movies. Like, love anything super badass. Uh, like the movie Jane Got a Gun mm-hmm. with that Natalie Portman. That was awesome. Stuff like that. Stuff, period stuff that's set in any sort of period, I generally tend to like because even if the acting is so so in it um to me like the set design and the art direction is always really intriguing and the cinematography so yeah those are a few few of the things that i've just finished godless to me was really interesting because uh it seemed to move a little slow at times but i think that was kind of the point too like it was definitely done a little bit like a really old school Western as far as the cinematography and the coloring Mm. and the fact that it moved really slow. (laughs) So I thought that was interesting. So were you big into movies growing up and you know, how did you get into directing? Were you just kind of always a movie buff or? No, I, it was like the opposite, honestly. Um, I, we didn't have cable for a really long time we like five channels growing up (laughs) and i think that was on purpose i've actually never asked my parents about that but basically i watched cartoons and um 
like <laughs> the Christian broadcast network, <laughs> like anything, anything in there. And I, I actually was homeschooled until fifth grade too. So I had a fairly, I guess, comparatively like untraditional upbringing. Um, I would get up really early and do schoolwork and then I would like run around the yard and make up games and chase deer and build forts and teepees and memorize like trails through my yard. <laughs> and, um, and so I would say that my childhood was more active and less about screens and television. Like we never had video games. And honestly, I think that makes me a better director. <laughs> Maybe I'll be a, a, a less cultured director um, as far as having taste or curation stuff like that that's definitely something that I've had to develop over the last three to four years uh, but as far as life experience and things that I can pull from for directing actors and just writing scripts and writing moments I feel like I'm pretty strong at that because my life was just built off of those so when did you kind of make the transition to like want to work in the filming kind of give me the the kind of history of how you got into this kind of world yeah, well, it was a, it was kind of by accident. I will say in life, the small decisions I overthink to the like nth degree, <laughs> and I'll like I'll plan out things for my life as far as um, small things go to the most minute detail, and it never ends up happening, which is always kind of hysterical to me. And then the big decisions I tend to just jump into and not think through very much. And it, it'll be like, I'm on that verge of making a decision and then I'll just make it and see where it goes. And that's kind of fun. And that's pretty much how film happened for me. So at the time I thought it was a small decision, like your career, what are you going to do with your life? And I always had a million ideas of what I would do and was pretty determined to follow them. And then when I graduated college, it was like reality struck. And actually I graduated when I was 20. So I was even a little younger than normal and very very broke <laughs> and um I didn't love school I wasn't you know particularly good at school I, I worked really hard at it I was like a B student generally um and I chose film when I was in college because it was it was the least amount of credits that I needed to graduate and I was just like I I really don't love my college that I'm going to right now I just want to just want to be working and doing stuff with my hands. So film sounds good because I like to talk and I like to meet people and um, I'll do that because I can get out. And so that's like honestly what I did. And then the harsh reality when I graduated, long story short, was that I absolutely could not find a job because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't go to a film school. I went to a school for film, which, as most people know, is very different. <laughs> so I generally learn framing and cameras and how to like hold a camera and use a camera but I definitely wasn't taught any of like aesthetic decisions when it comes to filmmaking or lots of film history or anything like that that would actually be helpful so uh, I decided to try and be a reporter didn't work out and I ended up just kind of falling into film I met someone that was working on an Adam Sandler movie and I was just like jumped at it I was like I'll go on site. I'll, I'll help. I'll do anything. I'll be an extra. And so that's how it actually started. Were you in New York City at that point? I was actually living in Boston. Yeah. So I moved to Boston. Again, just like another big life decision was graduated college, went to school in the South and the Midwest, technically in Missouri. And I was like, huh, okay, well, where should I live now? Hmm, okay. My sister lives in Boston. Guess I'll move there. Huh, okay. Film makes sense because I can 
get a degree and get out early, I guess I'll do that. Like the big life decisions were, were not very planned out or strategic at all. <laughs> but then picking out Sorry. what show to watch on Netflix is probably like painstaking. Yeah, no, it is. Like I'll do lots of research. I'll watch every trailer <laughs> and then I'll finally watch the movie and I'll either like love it or be incredibly disappointed and be like, well, that sucked. I took an hour to, yeah. like, decide to watch this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry to everyone out there who's painstakingly planning out their lives. Heads up. It doesn't work <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, so when did you, um, or what path did you kind of take to get to directing? I, I think, I think I've talked to you before and you, you were at AC or something like that. You, you were doing some of that. Oh yeah. So that was your original question. Uh, sorry. So I honestly, it was a lot of the same. Um, I, just decided to work really hard in everything that I did it probably overly hard and half of it has to do with the fact that I'm pretty competitive you know and admittedly uh half of it has to do with I don't I don't you know I'm a girl I'm a girl on a film set and I don't really want to give anyone excuse to not give me an opportunity for any reason and um I just kind of like keeping up with the guys too <laughs> and so my path was really a zigzag essentially it went from being an extra on a film set, working really hard at that, being the first to show up, and then kind of begging my way into being a production assistant on features. Um, again, just like working really, really hard at that. I, I literally slept with my walkie-talkie on so that when I woke up at four in the morning to go to set, I could switch it on <laughs> and drive to set and like be there to do whatever was needed. And then that turned into getting a lot of advice from the camera crews. And their advice was always just like knowledge is power. And so I decided to go and learn cameras. And so I worked at a rental house for three years. Um, at that point, I was like 22. And then I worked at a rental house. I learned cameras and I, I just engulfed myself in memorizing gear. And I was a total gearhead. Like that was basically my life for a few years. And I knew cameras well enough that then I could simultaneously uh, start ACing on film sets. And essentially that just happened because I met a few people who were like, oh, cool, really in a relaxed environment, you know, gear, come on set and you can continue to learn camera PA. And I just kind of started to slowly work my way up from camera PA to second AC to eventually first AC. And then um, at that point, I was writing simultaneously for directors that I'd met on set. Um, specifically, you know, I, I met the guys at Variable and worked pretty closely with them. They gave me a lot of opportunities uh, to learn gear, to work, to learn the industry. And so I started writing for some of those directors. And then that led to directing myself eventually. So then I guess was was there a specific instance you can look back on and, and say that this was the point I decided that I wanted to direct full time. Um, mm. Can you look back on a point like that or was it more organic? You know what? I will say like the point, that point came a little bit later than you might expect. It was really when I met Preston at Sanctuary, who is now my EP mm -hmm. and I'm wrapped at Sanctuary in the, in the States as a director uh, because I had been working for about 18 months to build up a directing reel at that point and everything was going pretty well and moving maybe a little quicker than I had thought, which was a pleasant surprise. But I was also working like, 
you know, every hour of the day and night at it. Uh, I, for that 18 months, I had kept directing as a definite goal, but still something that I was holding pretty loosely because a lot of people try to direct and it's a pretty long road. And I'd worked with enough directors to know that, you know, at that point I'd been on enough film sets and I'd been in the film industry for long enough to know that it takes a while to try to get to where you're going. And, um, with social media these days, it seems to happen overnight for a lot of people, but that's just not the case. It's Mm -hmm. really not, uh, maybe one out of like a thousand, you know, that actually happens. The reality is that you're working on the background and you're not saying very much about what you're doing because you either can't say anything because it's a secret or you're not allowed to talk about it or because it's just like doesn't seem to matter enough to, to say anything right. <laughs> about what you're doing <laughs> at that point. Um, so that was really my life for a while. Uh, but when I I had been following Sanctuary for quite a bit and I had been following really particularly Preston and I just had so much respect for his career and how he grew directors and his viewpoint on the film industry. And I had reached out to him just saying I was really interested in, in meeting up and just hearing, you know, more of his thoughts and gaining some knowledge. But that led to a pretty close relationship and led to me signing with Sanctuary. And when that happened, when I actually had like a team again and some support, then I was like, all right, all in you know, all Mm. in going to be a director now. And that was really only about eight months ago. (laughs) So, so what did, what did that 18 months look like? Like, were you working on specs, writing a lot? Like what were you doing during that 18 months that you were kind of building your, your reel? Yeah. Um, it looks like a big blur, (laughs) (laughs) but more specifically, if I was to separate the pieces, uh, I, so essentially my big thing is that best advice I've ever gotten that I definitely implemented in that 18 months was you always have to work a real job while you're working a side job. Like you, in the film industry, you really, you're probably not going to make money at your passion right away. So you need to have an income. And so my first thing was just figuring out what my income was going to be. And I took the long road, I guess, when I was thinking through that, I wasn't really thinking short-term income. I was thinking long-term income and like how to sustain personal projects and how to sustain, like not having to ask a ton of favors as I built my director's reel. So that was my first priority was just working. And so I was uh, an art director for other directors. So I did treatments essentially for commercial pitches. And sometimes I'd go straight, but most of the time I was putting the visual art direction side together of a pitch. And that was, I'd say, where like 50 to 60% of my time went. And so essentially that was great because I was getting inspired. I was gaining a lot of knowledge on the commercial end. And it also a few really close relationships with some directors that are light years ahead of me that I really respected. And that they were just really encouraging and shared a lot of their knowledge with me and, you know, gave me a lot of advice about what to do or just told me to keep going, not give up. So that was a lot of my time. Then the other two portions where I was just constantly writing my own concepts and, um, you know, most of the scripts got thrown away, (laughs) like crumpled into paper and uh, thrown against the wall or out the window. And then some of them stuck. And so constantly writing and constantly creating was on the side was like my secondary goal. And so income, working, that stuff, I would just, whenever I had a personal project coming up, I'd basically 
work triple, <laughs> take on like three times the amount of jobs that I normally would just to try to pay for it. And then I'd take a break for a week and then shoot the project and then be editing it while simultaneously working, I guess still. And so in that 18 months, I think I did five personal projects, which is crazy. And I will probably never do that again. <laughs> I didn't sleep very much. Yeah. Were, um, were those short films or were those specs or both or? It was a little bit of both. Uh, generally speaking, it wasn't spec spots because I just, <laughs> you know, someone told me like in kind of a rude way, but it was actually really true. They're like, you're not an agency producer and you're not a commercial writer. <laughs> and it was actually um, an EP that I'd met with uh, to be at their company. And at the time I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but re- honestly, like it, kind of the bluntness of it was true. And now that I've been working in commercials more, I'm actually not afraid at all to write a spec because I just feel like I have so much more of a handle on what it would look like. But back then, I just wanted to experiment and find my voice and just be creative. And I'm also something that I have felt very firm about for years, like even before I started directing, even when it came to writing, was that you, if you have a style And if you develop your style for long enough, that'll just be known as your style and eventually you'll get hired for it. And early on, I knew that, you know, I'm I'm no one like I, I was barely putting my work out there. So I didn't expect people to know who I was or pick up on my style or, you know, people would ask me like, oh, what do you think defines your voice? And I'm like, I don't know, (laughs) whatever feels good to me, like I go off of feeling. And so when it came to creating stuff, it was just it was something at the time that meant a lot to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying, as I'm talking, I'm trying to think if it was any more strategic than that. Uh, but it, I don't think it really was, to be honest. It was just like, for the first thing that I ever did was um, Sugar Plum, the ballerina spot. Mm-hmm. That was just a connection that my DP had to a pro ballerina and Christmas was coming up and we had access to camera gear and we're both like phantom techs. So we grabbed the phantom for a weekend um, Abel was very generous and loaned it out to us. And we just shot that in like two days. And, you know, I did my due diligence for every project. I will say, it's not like you just go out and shoot it and it becomes something like for every single project, I make a full treatment and I like, like go crazy on treatments with visual references first, second and third acts, even for documentary stuff. I have a whole pre-pro book. I'm very, very specific with my vision because when you're asking your crew to work for free, you, you want to make it a project that's worth it to them, you know, and you want to make it a project that bumps up everyone's reel uh, and feels very serious. So that's a lot of work, but does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah, no, cool. it's, it's super interesting. One, one thing that mm-hmm. I want to ask is you, you talk a little, you know, a little about the community you're around and, you know, the people yeah. you, you were with variable, you worked you know, closely with them and you obviously worked with other directors and you're writing treatments. Um, can you talk mm-hmm. about a little bit like what that community is like and how much that helped you as a filmmaker? You know, maybe it's in New York. Yeah, um, there's two sides to it. I think a big part of the community that I'm currently in is is kind of it's split in thirds, right? There's people that are above you in experience level. And for a long time, <laughs> that was always the case, which was a little terrifying, but also a really amazing challenge if you can just kind of rise to the occasion because you're being taught by people whose taste has been developed, whose experience has developed. Um, 
And so I always really tried to just be very watchful. I think a good part of the last 10 years has just been observation, honestly, and really quietly taking everything in. And so there's a long time in that community where I didn't, I didn't feel like I, how do I put it? Like, I didn't feel like I was very vocal in the community. You know, I wasn't creating. I was more in a supportive role for a really long time for directors and for sets, um, even on camera teams, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> Definitely not a bad thing. Um, I took my time learning. So it was very much a challenge uh, working with people at a level. I kind of jumped into this level that was over my head, you know, so to speak, for a really long time. And I caught up and that urged me to to put a lot of time in to really see that like knowledge is indeed power. And if I can learn things and be a little bit of a perfectionist, then I'll be able to stay in this community and work with them and, and be at that level. So that was good. I mean, a part of what I tell people if they feel like they're not able to keep up is just like you can, but you just have to stick in it long enough to actually know what you're talking about, to learn and become good at what you're doing. You're not just ever going to be good at it right off. So community wise, that was great. Um, I built up a lot of connections because I did start with like having friends, you know, that worked in the industry, a few friends, but a big part of it was also just that I, I think a, a big part of my life, I always felt a little bit of an outsider. Like I didn't really feel like I stuck in any one group, you know, and I've always had friends, um, never been a total loner, but I, it, it wouldn't be like one group versus another group. It would always be like a foot in this one and a foot in that one. And I think when I moved to New York City, I didn't have too much of a community here outside of the variable guys. So I just started reaching out to a lot of people in effort to make friends and inviting people into my group. And um, and that kind of seeing seeing those people kind of just soar in the film industry now has been just so gratifying. And uh, I just think that's probably one of the things I love most about the film industry is just building a community and not necessarily trying to be part of a community. I think that's what people forget is like, you can't just step into a community and expect it to be yours. You kind of have to invite people in and mentor people and build your own community around it. So that's kind of what I did. So um, we met down at the film supply conference um, and you told me, you know, and I met, I met your husband who also works in film. Um, what's it like being that close to, to the film industry? I mean, how do you guys detach from like not talking about film? I think that, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, it's kind of a concentrated effort. I think, I think that honestly, like I love it. I love being married to someone that also works in the film industry. Um, there's not really like I can't remember any time that I've been like, oh, this is annoying. Mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, we when we did work together, we worked really, really well together, working closely. And I, you know, he's he's a EP, so we have very different skill sets and very different ways of thinking. And in any, you know, I, if I could say anything, it'd be that it's a really good challenge. Like he's constantly challenging my point of view, and I love that. I love being challenged. If someone doesn't challenge me, I feel slightly bored. <laughs> so that's good. Um, and and then as far as balancing the schedules and the more like logistical aspects of that, 
now that I'm now that I work with Sanctuary, it's been really great to have some separation between companies because we we generally have communities that overlap, but we I feel like it's enlarged our separate communities as well. Like mm. now I kind of have my community and he has his community and then sometimes our communities overlap and when that happens it's really fun. And we can generally hang out with the same people and hang out with each other's friends. But it's been really nice. And I I think to some point that separation and having your own individual career and individual, you know, relationships is really, really important for anyone in any industry, but especially in the film industry. Because if you can't be your own person, you will kind of get lost in your own voice and who you are. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We detach by going on trips a lot is like the really simple answer to uh, we both really like our jobs. I think generally most of the time, but when we just need to like focus on our relationship and having fun and realize that we're not defined by being filmmakers, you know, or him being an EP and me being a director, uh, we have like pretty strict, no talk about work. Let's go on a road trip rules. So that's awesome. Those are my favorite days. We'll go climb a mountain or we're going to Costa Rica at the end of December to go surfing. Nice. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Christmas yeah. on the beach. <laughs> yes, exactly. New <laughs> Year's on the beach. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've noticed on your Vimeo that you have several videos on there that you're accredited as a writer. Um, mm. Maybe talk a little bit about what it's what it's like being on a project as just a writer versus being on as a director or as a writer director. Hmm. You know, I really enjoy writing and I feel like when I direct people, if I've written the concept, it's it's almost easier at this point for me to direct them because I've thought through the concept so much. And I, you know, usually when when you write, the biggest rule is kind of write what you know. And so the characters, the emotions that I've written are things that are very innate and familiar to me that I can direct people just really naturally and like give them background on it or pick their brains. So in that way, um, writing and directing is great. I actually haven't directed something that someone else has written yet. And I'm really excited to because there's a freedom that comes with that. uh, Where like you're not so attached to writing it perfectly as you are to just focusing on the actual emotion and direction of the piece and the background of the characters. And diving into characters is the main reason I think I decided to pursue directing. When I made Why We Wake and I worked with Freddie Stevens, we spent so much time together developing that role. I mean, multiple days a week for weeks beforehand. And I learned so much about his life and who he is as a person and um, and and so much about the subject and how different people process different things uh, that it was just such an amazing experience and it's something that as far as like narrative goes, whether it's commercial narrative or whether it's just like fictional narrative, um, I'm really excited to do more of. So one of the projects that um, I'd like to talk about is, and correct me if I'm saying this wrong, Viva La Victoria. Um, Mm, Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's, uh, you know, you just talked about like, you know, write what you know or do projects what you know. This seems like I would imagine is something a, a little bit outside of maybe what you you would know about without researching it. Can you talk about a, lot, a little bit about how that project came about? Yeah, totally. Um, so, so I'll be honest when I say that that project came about originally from a pretty selfish place. <laughs> I, I had been starting to talk to production companies. I had gotten into a few showcases 
And so it kind of seemed the time to be developing my work and making some decisions on who I was going to partner with for directing. And in those multiple phone calls and Skype sessions and meetings, a lot of people gave me their kind of unasked for advice on my career, um, the style of my work or what kinds of things they imagined me doing. And all of it was helpful, even if I didn't agree with it, because a lot of people didn't realize that I've been working in the industry for so long that um, these are things I felt pretty confident in. But it was good to have fresh perspectives. But some of those fresh perspectives, I just I was like, I didn't understand it all. And it actually made me a little bit annoyed. <laughs> so one of those leading up to this was probably four times in two days uh, with like the women in film movement being, albeit big this year, a lot of EPs were telling me that I should be like, I'd be great in fashion. You know, I'd be great in doing beauty commercials. One EP told me um, like, and really nicely, but like, yeah, bring on your all-female crew and, you know, work in beauty and re-edit your spots to be beauty commercials and you'll have a great career. And honestly, that is something that could be done. And some people are, especially female directors, are doing amazing beauty and fashion commercials. Like Petra, Petra Collins is one of my favorite directors. I love her stuff. It's gorgeous. It's unique. It's original. But for me, I just felt like that was almost an assumption of what I wanted to be doing um, and not necessarily looking at my work. And that is something I'd love to do if it was the right style, you know, if it was something that I can make really original, um, you know, similar to like what Petra is doing right now. Her style is incredibly unique. But essentially, I just was like, why are all these people just assuming that this is where I belong in this industry? And it made me really doubt um, working in the commercial world, working in the branded world, who I was as a director, what my voice was, because there, I knew there was something I was leaning towards, but I wasn't sure if I could say if that was it or not. And <coughs> so the long answer <laughs> is that when it came to Viva La Victoire, there's two things. One, I wanted to show people that I could do something that wasn't all like, you know, beautiful and something that I could edit into a spec fashion or beauty piece. I wanted to show people that I was, I could go deeper and that I could work with real characters whose lives were really dark and, um, you know, tough and raw and gritty. I mean, that's, that's really where I started as a director. Why We Wake was the first piece that I wrote and I didn't want to shy away from those hard topics and those hard things. And, um, so so that was it. I was like, I'm going to do a piece that shows people that this isn't what I'm about. And just, that just like kind of clearly screams that this isn't the direction that I want to go right now. And so that was how it came about. Then the other side of it was that, honestly, I just really wanted to do something that was meaningful. I was just like, cry, my, I think my soul was just like crying out a little bit to do something for someone else that wasn't even about me as a director. And that's what it morphed into. It went from being this initial gut reaction after a few bad phone calls of like, no way I'm going to show people to very, very quickly when I read this guy's story in the New York times becoming something that was like, wow, um, I had this all wrong and doing a project like this shouldn't be about me or my career at all. You know, if I'm going to do this right, I've got to switch my mentality and I've got to check myself and I've got to like fully immerse myself into this guy's life. And, 
and try to resonate with him on some level that I do understand. So um, it, I didn't necessarily say it in the film, but his story is so much deeper than you see in that five minutes. And what really got him through that point in time was his faith. Uh, faith in God, you know, spirituality. And he I, he didn't have it at the time, but when after three years of being tortured, he said that he just like made a deal with God that if he got out alive, he would he would seek justice for his, you know, abuser. And that was something that I feel like a lot of times in my life I've been up against something and, you know, I feel like I've been determined, but this guy's determination puts everyone else to shame. And so... Um, again, like I said, as soon as I started to read more about his story, it just totally changed my mindset. And when a project changes your mindset and makes you a better person and teaches you a life lesson, that's the kind of project that you should be doing. So I really, um, on, on that target, I really checked myself. And I think it was a really good, good project to do right before I officially entered the commercial industry because it really challenged me to think about who I was as a person, not who I was as a director. Yeah, well, it's it's an awesome project. Are those type type of projects that are the goal in the future. What's kind of the goal in the future? Is it to do features or music videos? What what's kind of the goals? Um, hmm. tough question because, like <laughs> I said, I tend to just uh, jump into things. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um. Uh, the the truthful answer would be I'd love to do a music video. I have I have one or two in mind, but it would be more for the artistic purposes and sure. not because I want to be doing music videos uh, mm-hmm. full time. It'd be more just because it could be like music videos tend to be more experimental, and I love experimental. But um, I'm definitely pursuing narrative, both in like the branded space and in the fictional space. So I think narrative is really valuable. Again, just because I love working with actors so much, I'm just more like right now I'm learning about the acting side of things uh, and how to direct actors and, you know, more of that topic and how to write your characters, how to develop things. Some of that comes really natural to me, uh, again, just because of like how I grew up in life, I think a little bit. But a lot of it, you know, is always good to learn about (laughs) technically speaking. So the fictional side for sure. Like I'm writing a few narrative shorts, writing a narrative feature, um, and then as far as like commercials go, just getting narrative experience in commercials, there's a lot of that out there right now. And so that's something that I'm starting to enter into. How, so you know, kind of what you talked about with, with the, uh, the short film and just kind of taking yourself out of it and making it not about yourself. How, do, how on that project did you find that balance and like find that change in perspective and then how do you think you'll be able to implement that going forward? Cause I know like for myself, that's, that's a big thing. It's like, am I doing this for strictly selfish reasons all the time? Or is it like, you know, just checking yourself, why are you really doing this? So I think that's something that a lot of filmmakers struggle with. Yeah. Um, good question. Viva La Victoire really gutted me. <laughs> I mean, it gutted me all the way through. It gutted me. It made me question a lot in good, healthy ways. Um, it also just challenged me as far as how I do things. And like in the pre-production process and the production process and the edit process. And um, it taught me that letting go of control as a director can sometimes be a very good thing. And I'm someone that likes to be really planned out. I love the details. But um, in in the case of that short film, what it and, – and also just honestly the subject matter, this guy – 
he just he puts you to shame i don't know it's like if you ever meet someone that you just respect so much and you don't know if you can actually do their story justice or not like with the resources that you have and with the time that you have and then in this specific case there's a huge language barrier so he speaks french he he does not speak english at all and his lawyer uh that he worked with for the case was really great and helped me a lot as far as translation um and I just kind of, he was someone that just won my heart over. I mean, I met with him in this really small, um, like, Asian cuisine in Soho the first time. And we had to be translated for the whole time talking to each other. And he's someone, he has scars down his face. You know, he wears very thick glasses because he was almost blinded in prison. He walks with a limp. And then the whole time we were sitting there, what we related to each other about was the fact that um, I was newly married and him and his wife have been together for years through separation, through homelessness, through his time in prison, between continents, being denied as a refugee. And so all of these things that he was so very strong about, I'm sitting across from him, this little like 29 year old tiny female director and I'm just like, who doesn't speak his language. And I just um, felt very humbled. By his story, I just wanted to be a better person. I wanted to be a better wife. I wanted to be a better filmmaker. I wanted to just do his story justice because um, it, it really hadn't been told up to that point outside of one New York Times article. So um, that was where it started. And then as the film process went on, that feeling really stuck with me. And there was a lot of times where my my career was starting to become a little bit well-known. I was entering these showcases while I was making this film. I was talking to production companies. It's, it'd been a really cozy 18 months because no one knew who I was. And I had a, so much freedom to create in. Because it didn't matter if something I made was bad. You know? And it, <laughs> I, didn't ha- I didn't ever have to release it either. But this film I knew would be released because I wanted to do it for him. Um, but I also knew that a lot more people would see it that maybe mattered for my career. So there's this constant tug of war in my heart over like wanting to make it good and wanting to just stop caring about making it good and just start caring about um, telling his story with the money that I had, you know, and I I actually, (laughs) this was a short and um, you know, it's about uh, like four minutes long, I think. And we filmed it in six hours um, we never got we because of the language barrier, we weren't able to see the apartment beforehand. We weren't able to really even know how much time we'd have with him. I had no way of communicating any logistics zero. Let's put it that way. So this was true documentary. And um, Dan Stewart, who DP'd it for me, is a boss. Uh, we came up in camera together. He used to work on Wall Street. So we literally were like camera PAs together and we worked very, very closely for years. So luckily he <laughs> he kind of understood what we were getting into and went with me on that one. But, um, uh, you know, it was it was very challenging. And so right up until the night before the shoot, I just like had this like anxiety about it, about what was going to happen. And I was putting my own my own money into it. So there was always that like, is this not even going to turn out? And so this project just forced me to totally give up control, totally stop caring about whether it turned out or not, um, and just like risk a lot of things to get it done and just do the best I could. Even I got it translated from five different French translators to make sure that everything was on point, you know, because I, I, I was editing it and I couldn't even understand what I was listening to. So I worked off of transcodes, stuff like that. So 
So I guess the summary to all of that is that by the time right after that project was when I got my first real commercial job through Sanctuary. And, um, and it just really prepared me so much because I was like, if I could do this, I could do anything. <laughs> like not knowing, not knowing any of the logistics, having barely any money. We ended up having only six hours to shoot. I interviewed him not speaking a language. I mean, I can do anything. <laughs> yeah. So it was a good confidence builder. But it also was just, again, just a good check on my heart with like, I went into the commercial world, not caring about the concepts, caring about quality, but more caring about the experience that the people on set with me had. Because that was really the legacy that this guy left with me was just like, make your life mean something. And, um, and so that's kind of what I left off that experience wanting to do. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Cool. Long answer. That's great. And we like to, and you kind of mentioned some advice you got earlier. Is there any advice you would give to anyone listening to this or maybe your, your, uh, yourself in the past <laughs> coming out and trying to become a director? Yeah. I mean, the biggest advice is like care about relationships and play the long game. And I think those two go hand in hand because there's this really huge temptation in the film industry because it moves so quickly and you meet so many new people on every job, every conference that you go to, you know, email, social media, there's film festivals, there's so many different outlets. And every time you go somewhere, you're like, oh, I wonder what opportunity could come up. I wonder who I could meet that could give me some opportunity that could change everything. And that mindset can become a little bit addictive and it's not necessarily the right mindset. And so as far as like what I've done in my career that I am just very thankful about is that I've tried to play the long game and I've tried to look at relationships as long standing, slow burning relationships that I can, you know, not ask too much of people too fast that I can actually make it about the relationship and feeding into their life somehow. And then eventually maybe it'll come back around. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, and that's cool, you know, and then even as far as playing a long game with like my level of knowledge, I learned everything in film from the ground up. I mean, I literally learned every step of the way from just like working hard where I was at on the film set, being very content there. And then whenever I started to get discontent, feeling that discontent to getting to the next step. So it's like extra PA, rental house, gear, camera PA, second AC, first AC. I mean, the only things I haven't done on a film set are like, aiding and cinematographer because <laughs> I just decided to be a director instead. But that has helped me so much taking my time to get where I'm at because now I have a maturity level where I feel fairly confident in my ideas and in my, how I direct and in working with people, you know, I feel fairly good about the direction I'm heading and I feel like I have a lot of knowledge and in film, you really can't like knowledge is, really power like if you know and understand people's jobs you have an automatic respect you know and the crew that you work with and how you handle yourself um and so i just say like on on that note like play the long game make relationships matter and then what those two things turn into is just like really making your life matter as a person in film and not trying to like essentially like the biggest thing for me is i always hope to have a vision and i figured that if i had the right vision that people would latch onto that vision and like help build it and not just try to be a director. Does that make sense? Like, it's not about Absolutely. me. It's more about like what I stand for. 
So figure out what you stand for before you figure out like <laughs> what you're trying to do. <laughs> There you have it, guys. That was Elle Ginter. Big thank you to Elle for coming on the podcast. Uh, if you guys want to stay up to date with her work, you can check out her site at elginter.com. That's E-L-L-E-G-I-N-T-E-R.com. Or check out our show notes page. That is direct the number 2 podcast.com. Thanks for listening, guys. We will see you soon. Go send us a message on Instagram, uh, you know, at direct number 2 podcast And say who we should have on next or or just tell us to that you like it or say you don't all right bye